Hi City Church, good to be with you again. Uh, today we're going to continue looking at our series Being Human from 1 Thessalonians where we're looking at what does it really mean to be to be human and of course the, the answer is to be like Jesus, uh, to be part of that divine nature that he offers us when we become believers. He comes and lives with us, lives in us and in his living his life out through us we find our true humanity is revealed and we see that in this letter and we're going to study a couple of aspects of that as we go through today so i'm going to read two passages of scripture um, i'm going to read one from acts and then one from one thessalonians the reason i'm doing that is because they both talk about the same events i wonder if you've ever uh, followed a news event live you know on the on the media and then later watched it back through a mini-series. I'm thinking of uh, the recent mini-series of Chernobyl or even the tragic events there in Salisbury with the poisonings and so you're watching the thing unravel in real time and then later you get to see a more behind the scenes view of what actually happened and that's what we're going to do today in Acts and 1 Thessalonians. So I'm going to go ahead and read those two passages to you now. first reading is from Acts uh, chapter 17. Now when they passed through Amphopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving what was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead, and saying, Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring him out into the crowd. When they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city and authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they'd taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And then the next passage is the one we're really focusing on today, which is the kind of behind the scenes like here in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of God we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor were we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak of those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. 
We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt you with, with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel who calls us to the kingdom of his glory. So Paul and Silas and this band of believers, Timothy was with them and others were there, were traveling, uh, preaching the gospel. Um, they would arrive in a new town, go to the synagogue and Paul would begin to speak about Jesus, persuading them that Jesus was the Messiah. And they'd done it previously, in fact, just a few weeks before in Philippi. And that is a famous story. It's how the Philippian church got planted. Uh, but in Philippi, they had been arrested and beaten for preaching the gospel, for healing a, a young girl. Um, and they, uh, they, they were thrown in prison. They were in the stocks at midnight and there was a miraculous escape from prison. And uh, you need to go read it really, but what transpired was that a church was planted in Philippi. Absolutely astonishing, really. Uh, very, very miraculous. Um, but it, it was at a lot of cost personally to, to Paul and Silas, particularly. They, had, they were beaten, they were put in the stocks, they were locked in a prison. Um, and there they were, we read at midnight, praising and praying and worshiping God. Uh, really amazing. Fresh from that beating, they arrive in Thessalonica and it's just it seems like it's just three short weeks it says three Sabbath days Paul reasoned with Jews so it feels like it was a very short trip just three weeks that's all it was and yet it, it was enough to spark jealousy amongst the Jews and, and others and they incite a riot um, they kind of centered around the home of Jason who seems to be an early believer there in the city who welcomes them in and what what actually happens was they fear for the life of this uh, uh, of this band of apostles and eventually those those gathered to him or to them say that you've got to go you've got to get out of the city and that's what happens in the cover of darkness there's two points i want to make from these uh, this passage of scripture both points are attitudes that the apostles uh, embodied in their preaching of the gospel there in Thessalonica. Um, and they are that they were both bold and that they were tender um, in those attitudes actually we see something of Jesus because Jesus clearly was bold and tender in his approach to to people his approach to his mission here on earth and actually what we find is that to be fully human is to be more like Jesus now some people would say to be fully human just follow your heart or be yourself you hear that a lot don't you, you read that a lot in self-help books is all about self-actualization be who you are actually the bible says don't do that at all it says don't do that it says be like jesus and what we find there in scripture in fact in the leading up to jesus crucifixion where he was falsely arrested and there was a trumped up trial and then what you find finally really was Pilate, who was the, the kind of puppet leader for that region that the the romans put in place and as he and he doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. He can't see the point. He can't see what's the fuss. And yet he wants to appease the crowd. And so what Pilate does is he brings Jesus out in front of the people. And he says this. He says, behold the man. And he thinks he's being clever, I expect. Or maybe he's being a bit cynical. Um, but he doesn't know what he's saying. But when he says, behold the man, he is summing up exactly who Jesus is. He says, this is the man. <laughs> this is the man. This is the man who is fully man, fully God. This is what it means to be fully human. 
is to be like Jesus. And that's our aim. And it's also our opportunity. Because what the gospel explains to us and what Jesus does for us through the gospel is he comes and lives in us. We can have part of that divine nature. It's the thing that's missing. It's the bit that that's, that's, was lost. And Jesus says, I'll put it back in. This is how you are fully human, is by being part of God's family, a child of God, truly, truly adopted into his family. The Bible says a partaker of the divine nature. That's how to be fully human. And in being fully human, these aspects begin to show themselves. Actually, God works his life out through us. And here in this passage, it happens because they are both bold and tender. So the first thing we see um, from this passage is, is that they were bold. And in one sense, that's a surprise because they've just come from Philippi where it's been difficult. They've had beatings and imprisonments and, and false accusations and all kinds of things that are leveled against them. But at the, with that as their backdrop, what you read here in verse 2 of this passage is this. With the help of our God, we dared. With the help of our God, we dared. And we could say, well, you know, maybe they were just naturally bold. Maybe they were just extroverts. You know, extroverts are good at this. You know, I'm not that way. But we know that's not true for all of them, at least. We know Timothy was with them. He was one of the authors of this letter. And Timothy was timid. And we know that because Paul writes to him and talks about that. So we know that this isn't just some kind of natural boldness. This is something that they receive from God. And we also know where they go to get this boldness from, because we read it in the passage previous to this, in, uh, in when they talk about being in Philippi. We know that there they are in the jail. They've been beaten, arrested. You know, they've been put in stocks. There they are at midnight in the middle of this jail. What are they doing? They are praying and worshiping, singing praises to God. And in that activity, boldness comes to them. Strength, confidence in God. They receive it from him. What they, what they seem to do is they believe that no matter how much trouble they're in, God is with them. They are convinced of it, utterly convinced of it. Notice how Paul writes, our God, with the strength, with the help of our God, we dared. This isn't just a God, it's not some well we hope that we, we make it through. No, they knew it's family. Our God is with us. They were convinced they'd lived it out in this context and the one before and of course afterwards too. They knew he was with them. It meant everything to them. You see, the unfolding events here in Thessalonica, the the, the riot, the accusations, the, the the jealousies, the eventually they kind of came for them. But that wasn't the most real thing. The unfolding events of those days, that wasn't the most real thing to these band of, of apostles. God's presence was. God's presence was the guide, not the events as they unfolded around them. God was with them and they were convinced of it. They pressed into God and received something of God's strength, something of his boldness so that they could do the job they were asked to do. You see, so often in our days, especially now, what we find is that with each given day, the events unfold and oh, that's not that's not gone how I thought it was going to go and oh, wow, I thought we were going to be able to do that and now we're not going to be able to do that thing. And that becomes the reality for us. Whereas what these believers, these apostles, this band of brothers had deep in their heart was, no, God is with us, utterly convinced of it. 
And so live or die, they were convinced that was true. Nothing could touch them. Events, circumstances, it didn't matter. They were confident and bold in their God because that was the center of their life, of who they were, of what they were called to do, of what they believed. And it carried them through these difficult events with confidence. Yes, the events still happened. It still unfolded the way we read it there in the passage in Acts. But their uh, relationship to those circumstances was different. They approached it with confidence. With the help of our God, we dared. Now, people often ask, well, you know, when I do something for God, or in my life maybe, is it me doing it or is it God doing it? You know, who is it? You know, is it God or is it me? The answer to that question, of course, is yes. <laughs> and we see that perfectly in this verse. With the help of our God, we dared. You see, they knew they couldn't win the Thessalonians to Jesus without God's help. But they also knew that no one else was going to do it. So, with the help of God, they dared. It's a great thing to be written over us, a great thing to maybe have on a t-shirt to remind ourselves on. But let's put it another way. What might God do if we dared to believe him? If we adopted that same attitude, that same boldness, with the help of our God, we dared. We tried. We attempted something for him. Why? Because we believe he's with us. We absolutely believe that's the most fundamental part of who we are is that God is with us. I'm a child of God, I'm a son, a daughter of the living God. That's who I am. That's what this life is about. He is with me. What about making it personal to you? With the help of our God, you dared. What could it be? Maybe, maybe there's a job you feel God's leading you to apply for. With the help of our God, you dared to apply for it. Maybe you're a businessman and there's an opportunity arising before you. There, there it is. You feel God's led you to the threshold of this opportunity and you're wondering about it. You know the challenge and that you see the opportunity. Well, maybe for you, this is, this is the verse. With the help of our God, you dared. Maybe it's a neighbour that you've got to know during lockdown who needs to hear about Jesus now and you're nervous. Hey, is that, how's that going to go? With the help of our God, you dared could be that there's a parent that you've got that you know you've got to go and mend those fences it's been long it's been a challenge but you know now's the time and you're nervous but with the help of our God you dared that boldness marked their mission and that boldness didn't come just from their own kind of personalities it came from the presence of God it was available to them and brothers and sisters it's available to you and I as well with the help of our God, we dared. The second point, the second thing I want to emphasize from this passage is that the, this band of apostles in their approach to the Thessalonians, they were tender and they were gentle. And they took great pains to describe that and explain that to the Thessalonians in the letter. They said, this, this is how we were amongst you. We, were, we, we, we cared deeply for you, we loved you deeply and they used these two illustrations to talk about their attitude they said we were like a nursing mother amongst you and then they also said we were like fathers and as a father deals with his own children so we dealt with you now these are two profoundly human qualities very familiar um, to all of us you know even if we had a, a poor experience of them we know something of the truth of these things but these are 
human qualities, but also both of these are qualities that we attribute to God. God is described to us both as a mother and as a father. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I know God is described as a father. I see that throughout scripture, but where is he described as a mother? Well, a number of places, but here Jesus is speaking in Matthew and, verse, uh, and chapter 22, verse 37, he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that term of affection says the name twice. He loves this city, he loves the people of this city. They are his people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus is longing for them like a mother longs for her children. And he's using that to describe himself, his own attitude. And it's the same attitude that Paul describes as their attitude towards the Thessalonians. This idea of a nursing mother is highly evocative. It speaks of giving your very self to another. It speaks of sacrificial love of, it's, it's godly, it's utterly committed. This sharing of Jesus wasn't just a communication then of ideas and concepts. Um, they weren't interested in, th in the Thessalonians signing on the dotted line. You know, tick the box and we're all done, we'll just go on to the next place. No, at the most fundamental level, that of a nursing mother, they wanted to share the very life of God with them. It's quite profound, it's moving, it's, it's provocative, it's challenging, it's what it means to really love. It's a challenge to men who can only look on this illustration and wonder, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that would give yourself utterly and completely and tenderly to another? And it's with that kind of giving love that we see Jesus. And actually Jesus takes it even further than this because they were on a mission to the Thessalonians and some would believe and some wouldn't. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says this, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying to be fully human is to love your enemies. My goodness, the world needs to see that, doesn't it? If you take those two things together, that that love of a nursing mother and Jesus saying love your enemies my goodness what a world that would be what an incredible city town we live in what a place it would be if we loved like Jesus is imploring us to love the love that is demonstrated through that illustration of the nursing mother let's just pray for a moment father we know the challenge of this of just loving but at this level, Lord, is, is, is beyond us. And yet we know that by your Holy Spirit, we can reach for this. And then, Lord Jesus, we hear your words. Love your enemies. Love them like this. Pray for those who persecute you. And Lord Jesus, we can only ask, would you please give us that ability to share your goodness and grace with all of those around us, friends, enemy, neighbour, whoever it might be. Lord Jesus, we want that kind of world. Amen. And then Paul moves on to this aspect of being a father, the tenderness expressed through fatherly love. And that's uh, what we read in verse 11. As a father deals with his own children, so we were with you. And Paul goes on uh, to describe three things that a father does. He says a father encourages, a father comforts, and a father urges. And those are profoundly human qualities, things that we could do well to ask God to, to, to make live in us, just as they lived in this band of apostles. 
It seems that a part of the human condition has left us with a lack of courage. I don't know if you've ever feel that about yourself. Um, it, that we have a tendency, you know, to be a, a little bit in, in, in a sort of the deficit count when it comes to courage. That, that's not all of us, and it's not all of us all the time, but you know what it feels like to lack courage in the face of challenge. You do, we all do, and that's what I mean. We also admire courageous acts. When we see them, we celebrate them, we call people exhibit, exhibiting exceptional courage. What do we call them? We call them heroes. Why? Because we know the challenge in the moment and we know that we lack it so often. And so God the Father is an encourager. He works to encourage, to add courage to his children. And this can be seen plainly through the whole Bible. We haven't got time to look up verse after verse, but here are just a few headlines. God says to his people through the Bible, don't be afraid. He says, stand firm. He says, believe. He says, take courage. He says, don't look back. He says, I am with you again and again and again. The father is looking to put courage in his children, to put courage in us. And Paul is saying to these Thessalonians, look, we came as a father to encourage you, to put courage into you. And for us to reflect God is to speak courage into each other and to speak courage into those seeking Jesus too. We need to take this seriously, to perfect our encouragement of one another, to speak courage, to get good at it, to get used to it. It's, it's rarely done and it's rarely done well and yet it's so important. If you, if, if you do resonate with the truth that, wow, I so often and at least frequently have felt a lack of courage and you know that when someone comes alongside you puts a, God willing we're gonna do this again, an arm on your shoulder, a hand on your back and says, I wanna encourage you, says things to you that put courage into you like God does through the Bible. We know the difference that, that makes. We know it's, it, 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 it just lifts us. It means your chest swells, your mind clears, the focus on the task ahead becomes much, much clearer. Let's be a people that put courage in one another. Do it today, do it right now. Pick up your phone, text someone, tell someone what they've done, which is profound and good and godly and helpful. The next thing that Paul says a father does is a father comforts. We read more about that in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, how do we go about that? Well, the first thing to do is you're going to comfort someone is you've got to listen to them. You have to be a good listener. And we need to be good listeners, people that listen so that we can bring comfort. I know I'm a bit like this, and I think it's a bit of a, a trait in, in, in many people that you hear someone's problem or you hear a little bit of the challenge that they're facing and quickly you wanna to get to a solution. Let's talk about how we solve this. And actually to really comfort someone, you have gotta listen. You gotta not just hear the story, you need to hear the emotion behind it, the challenging journey that that person has been on. It's also important in our preaching of the gospel we listen to people's stories. These are glorious uh, people made in the image of God. No matter the background, no matter the circumstance, that is the truth. The fundamental reality is they are made in God's image and therefore worthy of colossal respect. And respect means let's be listeners. It means that you are a ready shoulder 
to cry on again holding back on the, I think or let me just pray for you or even holding back on the here's the solution share share the emotional journey with someone it is a very human and a very godly thing to do to hear and to share the emotional journey that someone is, is on and then finally to comfort someone is to be a signpost for God's care and God's provision I know that when I'm listening to people I, I don't have a great deal to offer but I know God has everything that we all need to be comforted. God, this God of all comfort is accessible to you and to me. It's, he's there for us and to help us into, help each other into the presence of God is to bring real comfort. Be that signpost for care and provision. And then the final thing that Paul says, he says, um, fathers urge their children. Now this is a this is a little bit of a peculiar thing to think about, uh, maybe to our modern ears. What does it mean to urge one another? What does that mean? <laughs> Don't use that phrase very often. It is to inspire urgent, swift response. Sometimes that's true, isn't it? Sometimes as a father, sometimes as a friend, it's like you need to do this and you need to do it now. <laughs> and sometimes the focus or encouragement needs to be on just that. To live lives worthy of God is to be urgent about it, is to push into his presence, is to do it daily, is to do it well, is to do it with our energies, is to do it with the best part of our day. To urge someone is to encourage them into the presence of God. And Paul says, look, live lives worthy of God and do these things that we've described. Adopt these attitudes, not just, well, just do them, but no, ask God for them as we saw earlier on, to be in his presence, to expect that God will come and live in us and live out his life through us. And so these aspects of that godly behavior begin to become ours as well. Not because we're great people, but because he is a great God. So Paul describes these particularly as actions of a father. And so maybe you're a father now and you're thinking, well, how, what am I supposed to do, especially in lockdown? How do I relate to my kids? Well, there you go. There's three things for you to do. <laughs> it's, to, uh, it's to comfort, to urge, to encourage. Be that kind of father. The Bible also says this, actually, about the church in general. It says there are a few fathers. There just aren't many people who will take on this responsibility. And so, you know, man or woman listening, doesn't matter. Be like this for those around you. Be that encourager, be that comforter, be that urging hand on the shoulder of those around us. So we've seen that um, Paul and his band of, of apostles, these friends together on mission, they adopt particular attitudes that they receive from God first in order to share the gospel, in order to demonstrate the life of God. And in doing that, they're, they're really showing what it means to be fully human, to be connected with God. And God, God knows that's what it takes. He knows we need him. He knows we can't do on our own. He also knows we need to ask him. And as we take communion together, it's, it's part of that journey of us coming to God and saying, there's something missing in our humanity. There was something broken, something lost that we can't put back in and of ourselves. With all our cleverness, with all our scientific knowledge, all of which is wonderful and we're very thankful and grateful for it. If all our wealth for which we praise God, for all the comfort we experience from all of these things, it still doesn't put back what was missing. Only God can replace that because he has to give himself. So as we take bread and we drink wine together, we recognize this is exactly what he did. He knew 
he longed for our completeness in him and he knew he had to give himself to achieve it so we take bread and we break it and we say thank you Jesus for giving yourself so that I can be fully human I can be who you desire me to be but I also recognize I need I need you I need to take you and I need to make you part of me and I thank you for this moment thank you Jesus And then we also know that part of that brokenness was the sinful nature that we carry. That somehow that had to be washed off of us. It had to be removed. It had to be forgiven. And Jesus, of course, in shedding his blood, that's what he does. He says, I'm washing you clean. I'm taking responsibility for your errors, for your mistakes. I'm making them my own. And then... He shed his blood to demonstrate that it was done. And so when we drink the wine, we remember that's what he's doing. He's making us fully human. He's making us who he designed us to be. Jesus, we thank you for your body and blood. We thank you that you've identified with us. We thank you you've come and lived a life that would have been familiar to us. And then you died a death that was utterly unfamiliar because you took upon yourself the sins of the world, my errors, my brokenness, my separatedness from the Father, and you drew me close. And I thank you that even now as we're thinking about these things, you're offering that same completeness to all of us. Maybe even in this moment, you want to turn to God just in the quiet of your heart and say, God, I want to be complete in you. I want this bread and wine, I want this cross, I want this death and resurrection, I want it for me, I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to be part of your family, I want to be fully human. Why don't you do that now? <laughs>